Warning. The following broadcast is not approved by your teacher, university, politician, or government. Side effects may include skepticism, better reasoning skills, liberty, peace, and an escape from the woke. Welcome to the show. I am your host, LB Muniz, and this is the Been Awake Podcast for Better Sense Making. If you are within the sound of my voice and you haven't visited beenawake.com and subscribed with your email address, what have you been waiting for? It's kind of the main method of distribution, a newsletter email. Frankly, you know, if you just listen, that's fantastic and I love you for it, but you're missing half of what I do. See, there's a nice reinforcement effect. This is part of the reason why a professor of yours would assign a reading and then you would talk about it more in class. There's a nice reinforcing effect when you read the email and then listen to the show as a backup. But if you just want to do one or the other, as I was, uh, as I discovered early on, some people just like to read, some people just like to listen. That's fine too. But hey, welcome. Appreciate y'all stopping in. A little hot on the mic there. Sorry about that. We got a couple of great pieces that I am going to uh, work my way through here that I wrote last week at beenawake.com. We're going to end on a video from Joe Biden um, speaking incoherently as he as he always does. So let's let's save our thoughts from that. We're going to start with um, the original piece from last week. The other two are a little bit more commentary on some other on some other current events going on right now. But this piece is this is entirely original and I call it an apology for irreverence, a.k.a. uh, shit posting. And so I'll, I'll try not to curse too much more than that. But, you know, just as a heads up, if you have delicate sensibilities, I'm just going to warn you that the following words will be difficult. I'm going to be addressing a very serious topic. And without putting something like this in the correct light, we will all suffer in perpetuity. That putting that thing in the correct light, by the way, is, you know, is is irreverence. That's what I'm trying to do is put irreverence into the right light. Certainly those who would refuse to read this or understand it will be left to suffer as they lose the clarity this apology for irreverence will provide. A word such as irreverence is understood in contrast of its root, reverence. That's a pretty obvious thing. We all have people, ideas, institutions, and things that we revere. Reverence is, after all, part of what it means to be human. It plays into our psychology and affects the actions we choose to take. Without our ability to revere things and concepts, there is no state of being. We are a basic animal grunting their way to the food trough. So who amongst you would dare say there is no benefit to reverence? Here's the thing. If there is a benefit to reverence, that also means that there is a cost. When you revere something, you put your faith in it. Faith is as human as our emotions or capacity for reason is, which means it is just as fallible as any one individual can be. Where you put your faith, your reverence, matters a great deal, far more than the philosophers and the Enlightenment would have you believe. To the extent that, quote, faith in nothing is possible, it renders an individual without purpose or consequence. Let me read that again. To the extent that faith in nothing is possible, to the extent that it is possible for you to have faith in nothing, 
it renders you as an individual without purpose and therefore without consequence. If you have nothing, if you are living for nothing, if you are driving towards nothing, you don't have a life of consequence. You don't have a life, I would argue, you don't really have a life that's contained in meaning. So I don't believe per se that you can have faith in nothing. The faith, your faith has to go somewhere. The same way in which you can't, the same way in which you can't turn your brain off, because if you were going to turn your brain off, you would you would be dead. Right? Like even if you're sleeping, your brain is still working, at least at times, especially if you enter REM sleep. Colloquially, though, we use the people will use the term faith and nothing. And and I think faith and nothing practically means a rejection of religion. But again, I will reiterate, it is my contention that the faith must go somewhere. The cost to reverence is that once you engage it, once you engage your reverence, once you choose to revere something, and I'm using choose in a loose sense because obviously, you know, if, you're, if we're starting from the time we are children, you might not, you're not, you might not choose what you revere as a child. And, and in fact, most often than not, you, you won't be. You will be a part of, you know, your family. And whatever your family reveres, you will choose to revere. This is why one of the you know biggest predictors for who you would vote for, or what religion you'll be a part of, or even you know the type of um, the type of razor you use as a man, will be oftentimes linked towards you know who what what razor your dad uses, or who your dad voted for, or who your mom or what church your mom was raised in. The cost to reverence is that once you engage it, you can't know with certainty whether what or who you are revering is worth the investment. There is a compounding issue with this, given that the longer you revere something, the more cognitive dissonance and confirmation bias will work to perpetuate said reverence. Our natural inclination as humans is to believe that we are right and that they are wrong. This is why most people react negatively to irreverent behavior. When one is being irreverent, casting a critical eye up to the point of insult I offer as a definition, they take the revered thing and examine it closely. Given that the thing is of human origin, they will eventually find flaws. Of course, that's when somebody's doing it well, right? We're, we're, um, I, might, I think I addressed this somewhere in here, but we're, what we're setting aside here is this is beyond simply being a jerk. Does that make sense? I'm not just saying, I'm not saying this in the context of somebody's just being a jerk for the sake of being a jerk. That's not what I'm talking about when I'm discussing irreverence here. I'm talking about the, the way in which irreverence can be used in a positive way, so to speak. But there is a cost because there has to be a cost to everything. There's a cost and a benefit. These things are inescapable in our, in, in, in our existence. But the, and and my what I point out here is that our brains are set up to believe that we are right and they are wrong, and as such, we have this thing called cognitive dissonance, right? Which is if you believe something true, truly enough, if you believe something to be true when you are presented with information that goes against it, your natural inclination, your brain, is programmed to say, "Well, that's wrong." Your brain is programmed to say, well, that can't possibly be true. Where does that programming come from? Years of evolution. 
to be to be quick about it. Years of evolution plus it's it tends to be culturally reinforced as well. We are right, they are wrong. This is why people react negatively to irreverent behavior. Very there is a certain type of person that it can be very sanctimonious. And you know, in the world that we live in today, people will choose to be offended rather than to understand something because it gives them cachet, it gives them a currency. But when you engage your reverence, when you take something as being holy, right? Because that's kind of what it means to revere something is you take it to be holy. You, you don't get to question it anymore, which is, why, which is why there's a cost to it. So let's say, let's say, for example, this is a, this is a personal story. Let's say, for example, you knew somebody. And uh, this is a story from a few years ago. It has nothing to do, it actually has nothing to do with the Been Awake project. It has to do with a, a prior project that I did. Um, you know, let's say that you were friends with somebody and they, you know, they really liked the fact that you generated content and they liked the fact that you were doing a show and they really wanted to make their own show and create their own network. And so they hyped you up and they said, you're awesome and we want to work with you. And what we're going to do is we're going to find you a producer. We're going to come up to where you live. We're going to build you a set so that you can have a more professional, uh, a more professional look to your set. We're going to build you a whole stage that we can use for this show that's going to anchor our more newsy segment in, in this lineup of content we're producing. And maybe that person comes to visit you and then you sit down and have some conversations as you want to do when you're you know, hanging out with somebody that you haven't seen for a while. And maybe they go home and send you a message saying like, hey, man, I can't do this anymore. I can't support your show. It's too extreme. And maybe as the content producer, you would say, what are you talking about? Because I've been honest about the fact that I don't have mainstream views and you seem to like that. When you put your faith in something or someone that doesn't deserve it, it can be difficult to see the flaws until it's too late. Or sometimes you don't want to see the flaws because you want to believe that, you know, somebody's going to invest some money in, in, in a product that you're trying to create. It's very easy to fall victim to people who will lead you astray. Especially if you just assume that everyone's trying, has your best interests at heart and that every, and that nobody would try to take advantage of you. That nobody would call you brother and then take advantage of you. These are lessons hard won. These are lessons hard fought. And um, in part, in, in, there is a sense to which you have to learn them yourself, right? I'm, I'm sure even saying this to somebody who might be younger than me will st could still run into the same, the same issue. You, you will get burned if you get too close to somebody who's, who's toxic. But that's the cost to reverence, right? You revere... Oh, well, this person seems official. It seems like they've got their own thing going. No, put your faith in something. Somebody comes and spends money to visit you and then, and then decides to throw you out like trash. What if we, you know, forget that it was just me doing a small show for that story. What if, what if we're talking about a group of people? What if we're talking about hundreds of people who all believe in the same thing? And who, but who are following the wrong person or the wrong idea.
What about thousands? What about millions? How do we come back from it? Well, in a sense, it's irreverence, right? We've talked about why I laugh. We've talked about how Nietzsche has, um, has this conception of that laughter is ultimately a constant that removes the most recent moral arbiters of the time from the stage. Eventually, they will be laughed off of stage. You know, right now, there is this huge consternation over critical race theory. It's finally been mainstreamed, right? You know, people like me have been talking about it for six, seven years. But critical race theory is finally mainstreamed. And as you might imagine, in that it, even though it's been mainstreamed, it's not a very good representation of it. Even somebody like a James Lindsay is, is struggling to, main, to keep a good uh, working definition against it. And we see people, oh, we're dismissing it. We're going to be dismissive right now, the adherence of critical race theory. We're going to be dismissive of what, of, of what the tenants actually are, which is a tactic. But all these conservatives who are reacting against CRT, where's their reverence? What do they revere? They revere the cable news cycle. They revere institutions like Fox News. We're, we're, we're pushing the term a little bit farther than it should be used, but I think it holds up. They're pushing back on something, and they don't have the tools with which to fight it because they're assuming just by getting mad <laughs> right, follow, right follows left. Right follows left. They're assuming if they get mad and they create a stink over something that people will listen. And if they just demonstrate and make sure their voice is heard, things will change. But there's no consequence. Maybe there will be, but I, I, I don't predict. I wouldn't predict that we'll see millions of kids not attending public school next year. And by the way, even if you don't attend public school, your homeschool curricula, let's say you go homeschool, that still has to be approved by the state. So there's a, there's a likelihood that you'll still have these same kinds of CRT teachings within that. And by the way, this is how you create culture, right? Ah, it's no big deal. But there's a cost to this. We're supposed to review, you know, and, and, and we see this played out. There have been recent hand-wringings over the question of shitposting within the broader liberty movement, which will remain undefined for the moment except to say that it falls within the larger context of irreverent behavior. So this idea of shitposting falls within the larger context of irreverent behavior. There was a meme that I saw long ago that simply said, getting offended is bullshit. I've written elsewhere how I used to take myself too seriously. I was that uptight individual who was preoccupied with appearances in perfect form. As a consequence, I was an easy mark. You could get a rise out of me with the simplest of trolls. And a lot of people did. Eventually, I realized by allowing myself to be offended by everything, I was letting others control my perception of reality. When I would react, they got what they wanted, and I got nothing. One element of this is engendering a reaction. That's an element of shitposting, either in your mark or from your following, right? So you're either trying to get a reaction out of the person you're going after or, you know, from your followers, because all of this is within the context of social media where you have followers. Today, you won't see me fall victim to the shitposters out there because I'm laughing with them at the well-placed rib. 
even when it's a stranger. I choose to react with mirth rather than indignation because I control my perception. I control my perception of myself and what I believe, not a rando on social media. Now, there is nothing wrong with wanting to be left alone, but if that's the case, do not pursue a public profile. This is something I can't stand. This is, um, this is an element of, of the victim morality that we see at play in our larger culture is, is our, our people who engage in public life. And, and by the way, having a Twitter profile, having a public Twitter profile and trying to have any kind of say in like the topic of conversation is sufficient to have, to, to having a public life. If you, you know, if you just want to follow people, that's obviously up to you. If you want to have a very private, very close community of people who see your thoughts, that I wouldn't consider that. But if you are attempting to have any kind of cred, any kind of following, you are entering public life. So don't do that if you want to be left alone. Now, you could have a preference to be left alone but still want to be in, still have a public profile, there's, again, costs, benefits. I would maintain that to the extent anyone is looking to engage with the broader public, which is to say strangers, especially on the internet, you should expect at one point or another to come across a jerk. Now, this isn't, my, my commentary here is, an obvious, is obviously not to justify harassment, but it is to say that if you, you know, try to, try to say something profound, you might get harassed. And you should think about that before you engage in the process of social media. And there is nothing about the world that means you get to be safe from criticism. Again, if you want that, make sure you have as tight of a social circle as you can. And don't dare think that you should go after somebody who has a lot of followers. Because again, you're just, you're feeding the beast at that point. So that's what it means to enter public life. It means you're going to come across a jerk. Now, if you haven't picked up on it, I'm on team irreverence for this piece. There is a link to skepticism. There's a link to skepticism with irreverence and the willingness in that irreverence holds within it the willingness to question ideas and people. Though I take a more sober approach in my work, even so, I have come to appreciate the finesse of a good troll or a well-timed offensive joke. There are very few things so serious that they shouldn't be joked about. And even then, I'd like to see someone try. Is there a cost to being irreverent? Irreverent? Excuse me. Absolutely. Absolutely there is. There's a benefit to it and there's a cost. Just like there's a benefit and a cost to something like skepticism, which I'm a big fan of. In the right context, however, irreverence is the means by which the gravitas of powerful people is eroded. Laughter is too. Without a measure of it, we all fall victims to our more basic desires to always be right, which increases the probability our faith will be misplaced. Look, there is, um, there's, a, there's, there's a few more elements in here. There, there's a few more elements to this idea of irreverence and the larger concept of shitposting and edgelording, and, and, and most of it is driven by social media. There's a huge generational component to this as well which is to say that younger people kind of get it more than older people because older people just don't understand why people should be nasty all the time because they grew up in a world 
where if you were being nasty to somebody, it was probably to their face and you might get punched. See how there's a consequence to it. Of course, with social media and the internet, that's a lot lower. So it's a lot easier. You know, the cost is lower, so the, it's easier to be a jerk. And so there's been an entire culture that's, that's developed around it. But I, I'm serious when I say, you know, if, we're, if, if you were to go back 10 years, I, I was the mark. And it's so interesting for me to watch people of a similar age and older who, are, who have been on the internet, who are on social media platforms, and who still refuse to see the joke. You don't have to think it's funny to understand that something's a joke or meant to be a joke. And it's only, it's only the perverse ideology that says that you know, we have to take a joke and deconstruct it. Again, you're the, if, if you're the mark, they're trying to get a rise out of you. So the best thing you can do, this is, this is, advice, to, this is advice to my critics in some respects, or, or, or advice to people who would otherwise be critical of me, is to ignore it, man. Be better than it. it that, that's, that's how you get ahead. That's the only way to beat it. It's the same way in which, you know, this, this space is an antidote to wokeness in the sense that I offer just a better understanding. I don't spend my time, I haven't spent my time addressing every single claim of critical race theory. I've just put forward better alternative explanations for, you know, the same sorts of ideas. So let's talk about why I would have debated Sam Cedar, but why Steven Crowder didn't. You know, saying something is reality TV is a little bit of a lie, right? Like that saying that you're watching a reality TV show, that's a lie because it's not real. That while shows like, uh, you know, shows like the Kardashians are unscripted, much like professional wrestling, the end is known before they begin. Television is show business at the end of the day. And telling a story is different than simply living. For there to be a story, you have to have a beginning, middle, and end. But if you've noticed with your life, maybe you haven't, but your life just kind of keeps going. There are stories within your life, but you know, sometimes a day is just a day. You wake up and you go to bed. This story, the story we're about to go over, is completely within the category of needless internet drama. There is very little about this story that is interesting. The short of it is that Steven Crowder of the Louder with Crowder show agreed to have a conversation slash debate with Ethan Klein from H3H3, which is apparently a very big channel. I know, knew very little about it. Ethan decided to bring in Sam Cedar, who hosts his own political show. It was a gotcha moment that didn't really go anywhere, you know, because it's all virtual. Eventually, Crowder hangs up and Twitter has a fresh kill for the trending board. Now, if I was going to be on H3 and Ethan Klein brought somebody like Sam Cedar in unexpectedly, I probably would have hung around and seen the interview through. Even if Cedar is allegedly persona non grata, according to someone like Tim Poole, he's blackballed by, from a lot of major podcasts, I'd still be willing to ride the wave. Why? It's simple, really. I have a smaller profile than Cedar and a smaller profile than H3, and I could use the exposure. It's still a really rude thing to ambush somebody on a show like that, but, you know, it kind of makes sense. 
Now, why Crowder didn't stay and talk to Sam Cedar is that his show is bigger and it went against the agreement. This isn't particularly <laughs> difficult to understand. And what's interesting is the partisanship that was on display in the aftermath of this. And this is, and we're, what I'm going to do is I'm going to play like just the necessary parts of this, including uh, Crowder's unedited portion where he talks, where he's talking before they start, uh, before they start recording. Was you saying you don't even have to think about it? So this is him kind of, well, let's go back a few more seconds. So this is kind of the lead up. Crowder thinks he's going into one of his change my mind segments where they're going to have an exchange of ideas. And that's easy for you. Oh, okay. So uh, I've prepared. Okay. Saying that yes. he's not going to be a good debate. All right. So, so, so what we were going to talk about is, uh, what we were going to talk about is, you know, the initial quote that happened. I think he's looking off there. Uh, the initial quote that kind of was turned into, um, a little bit uh, of a meme, which wasn't intentional. And uh, was you saying you don't even have to think about it regarding the CDC? Hmm. Uh, and I disagree with that. Um, I think people should think about it, I believe. And we just talked about this through playful ribbing in an aggregation of medical authorities and scientific voices to make an informed and rational decision. Um, so where do you think that, I was, that I'm wrong on that? Stephen, do you know that um, the Spartans are that they are like uh practice man love with children oh geez okay so this is what's going to happen i what did i tell you he was going to do anything he could Athenians, to avoid. Oh, I think, oh there so, he is oh no sam cedar what a whoa no. what a fucking nightmare you, i had no idea this was going to happen i thought i thought ethan was a stand-up guy this is oh, where we are wow. yeah i told dave dave remember i told you i told you I said, this is, I guarantee you, he's going to do anything he can to avoid the debate. Oh, I just think he believes that he should debate you. No, no, he doesn't. He just takes advantage of, of women with, you know, mental health issues. Steven, Ethan Klein. Know? So the rest of it is kind of just a lot of name talking, a lot of name calling and, you know, crosstalk and nothing that's very good radio, if you ask me. But I just wanted to play. So that was what H3 puts out. Fantastic job. As, as Tim Pool points out in his coverage of this, this is exactly what we were going what exactly what was being gotten for this is this is what somebody like ethan klein at h3 was was hoping would happen is a nice little spat that you can then promote that a lot of people will view and will drive engagement you know and here i am covering it too drama is fun there's something about it that we like as humans and i would hate to i would hate to pretend that i'm above it even if i think it is kind of silly but i just wanted to play for the sake of for the sake of the story, the beginning part, because then Crowder apparently had been recording the whole time. You don't really see this in the H3 video, but this is this is what he released on his channel. I bet this guy's going to do anything he can to avoid actually debating. Yeah. I think he wants to do anything that he possibly can to avoid. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I don't know. Maybe Wait, when like, you want me to admit him into the room, I'll just do that. Sure, well, I'll, yeah, I'll just say, you guys do the sound check. And I don't want to sit there and talk with their producer, Dan, and stuff, but I don't think this guy wants to do this. I wouldn't be surprised if you... He's probably going to bring someone else on Was his producer, like a fan of that uh, Cedar character. Yeah, that'd be my bet, but hey, hopefully he mans up. Okay, you can do your sound check. Alrighty, here we go. Yeah, I'm going to sit right here while you guys... I just kind of thought that was funny that apparently he, he called it, and... I guess this Sam Cedar guy is a big saying like, oh, you should debate me. You should debate me. And then he's done some nefarious practices with different and other content creators and talked behind their back. And so apparently he's not a great guy, but you know, I would still debate Sam Cedar. Why? Because he has a bigger show than me. 
So, you know, obviously it would make a lot of sense to try and do something like that from an exposure perspective. I don't know, just a little, eh, you know, you got to find something to write about. I thought it was trending on Twitter. I figured it was worth, it was worth going over. So let's talk about why corporate comedy sucks. Oh, uh, also for context, I guess the H3 used to be very, um, uh, they, I, I guess there used to be a bit of a reverence to the H3 channel is my understanding of the story. And then they kind of just, you know, then they went corporate. So let's talk about why corporate comedy sucks. I recently wrote about a concept that I'm calling narrative discipline. It's how major institutions assert and maintain their control over a population. This occurs within the government and newspapers alike. The boundaries of debate must be set clearly so the people in play know where not to tread. When those boundaries become or prove to be insufficient, you may change them, but only by establishing new boundaries that no one may step outside. We also see it evidence in network television. What was allowed in a script on ABC may be different now than it was 30 years ago, but in both instances, multiple corporate actors ensured it fit within their approved talking points. So if you write a show for a corporation, for, you know, like for a network, or I'm assuming a cable channel as well, it has to go through quality control of some kind, right? So you as the creative will put something together, but then somebody has to check it to make sure that it kind of fits within their corporate standards. I've been fascinated by a clip making the rounds on social media. The great Jon Stewart appears on The Late Show with Stephen Colbert shortly after it was deemed appropriate to discuss the lab leak hypothesis. And remember, I say deemed appropriate in the context of narrative discipline, which you just talked about, because... A year ago, you would have been kicked off social media. You could lose your, you could have lost a channel. You could have lost a profile. You could have lost a following, a source of income. If you questioned the lab leak, if you, if you proffered the lab leak hypothesis and from last week's episode, it should be known, Brett Weinstein did uh, go on Joe Rogan to talk more about the drug ivermectin. And I say that because, you know, Brett Weinstein's at, at, at risk of losing his channel and over the fact that he's saying something that will likely be proven true in six months. And you'll see the narrative change and it'll be allowed to be talked about. But right now it's causing somebody like Brett Weinstein to lose, his, lose the income that he has, that he, that he supports a family with, him and his wife. So you see, that's actually, that's actually, the, that's actually the danger of this. The danger of it isn't per se what the correct opinion is. It's the, it's the danger to individuals who step outside of the correct, of, of, of the boundaries of good opinion. In true comedic fashion, John Stewart points out the absurdity found in a situation where a global pandemic begins in a city with a research facility that researches the exact kind of disease that causes the pandemic, but we can't point it out because, you know, Fauci said so. Now, What's also interesting about the clip is how Stephen Colbert does his duty, not by being funny, which should be his first duty as a comedian, but by regurgitating the corporate narrative that must triumph over anything else. He also gave some weird justification about how there are a lot of bats in Wuhan, even though the horseshoe bats at the center of the controversy, and by controversy, I mean the origins of the COVID-19 virus, didn't live anywhere near the province of Wuhan. So it's funny because he just, he just outright lies. Comedians deserve license to say things that aren't exactly true, but I don't think that Colbert acts as a comedian on The Late Show. He, John Oliver, and others followed in the footsteps of Jon Stewart, who pioneered the infotainment comedic news show. While Jon Stewart left the world of corporate oversight, Colbert and Oliver stayed. Really, the difference speaks for itself in this clip that we're about to play. 
without the liberty to explore boundaries and, and explore beyond the boundaries is what I should say. Your comedy is only as effective as your boss wants it to be. I honestly mean this. I think we owe a great debt of gratitude to science. Science has in many ways helped ease uh, the suffering of this pandemic, uh, which was more than likely caused by science. <laughs> so, and that's kind of... Hold on a second. No, 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 no. Not, listen, listen. So he does try to be funny because he tries yeah, to do that. I'm going to do that to you. What do you mean by that? Do you mean like well, so Mr. Fraps, a... there's, there's a chance that this Watch, was created this in a lab, coverage. there's an investigation. A chance? Well, but I, so, I, 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 oh if God. there is evidence, I'd love to hear it. There's I don't a know. novel respiratory coronavirus overtaking Wuhan, China. What do we do? Oh, you know who we could ask? The Wuhan novel respiratory coronavirus lab. This is what good comedy can do. And this is where you incorporate that irreverent idea in a good way that I was referring to before. The disease is the same name as the lab. That's just, that's just a little too weird, don't you think? And then they I, ask I, those scientists, they're like, how did this... So wait a minute, you work at the Wuhan Respiratory Coronavirus Lab. How did this happen? And they're like, mm, a pangolin kissed a turtle. <laughs> and you're like, no. I, you, you, the name of your lab, <laughs> if you look at the name, look at the name. Can I, let me see that your business card. Show me your business card. Oh, I work at the coronavirus lab in Wuhan. Oh, because there's a coronavirus loose in Wuhan. How did that happen? Maybe a bat flew into the cloaca of a turkey and then it sneezed into my chili and now we all have coronavirus. Like, come on. Okay, wait okay, a second. Okay. Wait a second. Wait a what second. about this? What about wait this? Listen to this. Wait a second. All right. John. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. There's been an outbreak of chocolatey goodness near Hershey, Pennsylvania. What do you think happened? Like, oh, I don't know. Maybe a steam shovel made it with a cocoa bean. Or it's the <laughs> chocolate factory. Maybe that's it. That could be. That could be. That, that could By be. By the way, Let me... I gave them all tuberculosis. Just yes. That could, that could very well be, and Anthony Fauci and Francis Collins and NIH have said, like, it should definitely Again, be investigated. Stop discipline. with the logic and people and things. The no, name I... of the disease... Wait a second. Wait a second. the building. Wait a second. But I, it could be possible. You could be right. It could be possible that they have... It's... You know, it's interesting watching a clip like this because you just see how much has changed over the last 10 years. You just, in which, you know, I guess can always be said that things always change over time. But this is the first time I've lived. So I notice it myself. This is me noticing it for myself. And I think it's more obvious. Now, well, here's, here's a couple of points that I want to do before we move on to the last, uh, the last piece that we're going to, the last little clip we're going to play on the show today. Because there's a couple important things to this. One, the first thing is, this doesn't mean that we're winning. This doesn't mean that everything, that the truth is going to come out and that we're all going to understand exactly what occurred with COVID-19. What this means, and this is the context of narrative discipline, what a clip like this means 
is that they've had to change where the boundaries are, which is, which is worth noting. But it doesn't mean that everybody is going to change their mind. This might be the first time, and for many people it is, just because COVID-19 was so pervasive, right? Because the lockdowns affected almost everybody on the planet. Because this, because this virus, this pandemic, has changed the way we live, more people are going to notice something like the narrative discipline than they would before. Because before, it would kind of just be people outside of the mainstream. It's a lot easier, like I said, if you put your, if you put your faith in something, if you find something, if you revere something, it's tougher, to, it's tougher to know whether it's worth that. It's tougher to know whether the thing you're putting your faith in is worth it. The same kind of thing. It's the same kind of principle at play here. If you're inside of it, if you're plugged into the corporate news cycle, you're not going to notice the changes because it's just what you're supposed to do. See, now it's okay to talk about the lab leak hypothesis. So it's not a problem that John Stewart is going to go on the Colbert Report and talk about it. And so much so that the late show is going to put out this clip by themselves. This isn't somebody uploading this clip of their own volition. This isn't me going out there and making sure that I had this recorded and put it out there. No. NBC, right? What isn't the late show? Is the late show CBS or NBC? I don't even know. I think it's I think it's CBS. CBS is willing to put this out there by itself, the whole eight-minute clip. So don't don't confuse changing the changing narrative discipline with with a win with the cycle so this is uh the last thing we're going to play before i get out of here i've got an uh, i've got another interview i got a couple of interviews in the can um one is with nick ashley and the other one is with adam patrick nick ashley is of the individualist podcast adam patrick is of you're talking over me uh both are very very good i'm looking forward to having them out there in the ether i'm going to be on james gentleman's show soon enough Again, we're going to have an interesting conversation, I'm sure, because we always do. But so we got some we got some new content kind of coming out here soon. New new interviews pushing. We're pushing. We're pushing the we're pushing thought, man. This is exactly the kind of stuff, exactly the kind of conversations that I want to be having, which is just exciting. I will say just absolutely exciting. But let's go to our clip show president. And I call him a clip show president because that's exactly what he is. He is that clip show that happens in the seventh season of a, of a sitcom where they don't really have any material to go through, so they're just going to dredge up all the, all the hits of the past seasons. So this is a 39-second clip, and let's just play it. An amendment from the day it was passed limited the type of people who could own a gun and what type of weapon you could own. I don't think that's You couldn't buy a cannon. Those who say the blood, of, the, the blood of patriots, you know, and all the stuff about how we're going to have to move against the government. Well, the tree of liberty is not water with the blood of patriots. What's happened is that there never been, if you wanted to think you need to have weapons to take on the government, you need F-15s and maybe some nuclear weapons. The point is that there's always been the ability to limit, rationally limit the type of weapon that can be owned and who can own it. The second. So I guess this is within the larger context of some of the Second Amendment infringements that the Biden administration is trying to push at the moment. Can we listen to that clip again? And I just want you to focus on how incoherent Joe Biden is. An amendment from the day it was passed limited the type of people who could own a gun and what type of weapon you could own. 
You couldn't buy a cannon. Those who say the blood of the the blood of patriots, you know, and all the stuff about how we're going to have to move against the government. Well, the tree of liberty is not water with the blood of patriots. What's happened is that there are never been, if you wanted to think you need to have weapons to take on the government, you need F-15s and maybe some nuclear weapons. The point is that there's always been the ability to limit, rationally limit, the type of weapon that can be owned and who can own it. The president just say people need to move against the government. Of course, he didn't. He's trying to he's trying to make the case. If he was twenty years younger, what he would be doing is he would be making the case that he would be making the case that there have always there have always been necessary infringements on any rights because that's the price you pay to live in a civilized society. The same degree to which we say that you can't yell fire in a crowded theater, which I've proven to be a lie. Right? The basis for the claim that you can't yell fire in a crowded theater comes from anti-government propaganda comes from anti-government anti-war activists passing out leaflets in front of a draft house. Because people were warning about the dangers and the realities of war. And so that means we can't yell fire in a crowded theater. Of course, if there is a fire in a crowded theater, it's probably a good idea to do so. This is another example. This is another example of how the empire is coming home to roost. And so the empire, the... the, the, um, it, it will be slow and then it will be fast, but this is, this is another indication of how the direction of the government is going to be focusing inward, right? There's, like, there's diminishing returns on killing brown people in Afghanistan, so we need to start killing white people in the United States of America. If I could just be like completely bombastic with my language, that's how, that's how I would put this. So what do you do in the aftermath of this? Well, frankly, you be careful. You be careful about who you talk to. You be, you be careful about what you say. And you be careful about the types of opinions that you have. That might sound like a lot coming from a guy who has a show, right? So who the hell am I to think that I can go out there and air my opinions? Well, frankly, it's been a thought of mine. Should I say the things that I know to be true? Or the, should I say the things that I think are true? that I think are accurate about what we're, what we're envisioning. And that's, that's a cop. It's, it's a tough decision. It's one that I still, it's one that I still fight with when I'm, when I'm coming up and I'm developing content. I'm not one of these people. I'm not one of these people who pines for revolution because, you know, I kind of understand history. I'm not interested. I'm not interested in physical violence. I'd much rather wage a war with words. But I'm also not a fool. I'm not foolish enough to think that they're not making plans to do whatever they can to stop us. If you like what you heard today, go to beenawake.com to subscribe for future updates. My name is LB Muniz, and I am not one with the woke.